Peter Thomas Fornital here. We at In The Money Media are so happy to be partnering with Maggie Wolfendale on this new podcast series. On these shows, Maggie is telling the story of the horses through the voices of the people who love them and whose lives have been changed by them. Best of all, they're being produced to benefit our friends at the Thoroughbred Retirement Foundation, whose mission of saving lives, both human and equine, is so important to Maggie and so important to us at the network. To make a gift to support this show and the Thoroughbred Retirement Foundation, go to trfinc.org slash offtrack. That's trfinc.org slash offtrack. The next voice you hear will be Maggie Wolfendale. Dark Bay or Brown Mare, fold May 5th, 2008, in Kentucky, by Maria's Mon, out of Majority Whip, by Gulch. 17 starts, 2 wins, 2 seconds, 2 thirds. Earnings, $36,600. Jockey Club name, Hey Maria. This is her story, off track, as told by... The guy who loves her, Ben Samrick. I'm pleased to be joined today by Ben Samrick of Davis, California. And Ben, thank you so much for being here and telling your story of Hey Maria. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to talk about my girl. It's going to be, uh, she's, a, she's a special horse. Now, Ben, I have to admit that pretty much you are the seventh interviewee that I've had on. And I've pretty much known everybody else, you know, whether it be a good friend or somebody that I've met once. But I've we've never met. And I was delighted to hear your story from Kim Weir and get to know you a little bit yesterday on the phone. But you kind of have a unique story in that you were a kid, going back to your childhood and how this you know relationship with horses was formed. You said, I really want to ride. And you went to a local guy, a local farm that had Arabians and decided just to hop on. Tell us your background. So I, you know, I think most horse, most horse people um, believe that we're born with the horse gene. So uh, I, I, can't remember a time I didn't want to be around horses. And I, I believe I was in seventh grade when I finally uh, was able to ride consistently. And I went to a, a farm where I found a, an older cowboy guy. His name was Tom. And he took me under his wing because I was the only boy that was interested in riding. Uh, my parents wouldn't buy me a horse. So I worked at the stable and got to ride all the young Arabians, um, got dumped a lot and worked with a lot of hot horses, <laughs> which is why I love my thoroughbreds now, because I'm used to that that feel. They're just bigger Arabians, I call them. Now, you weren't discouraged in any way. I mean, because you mentioned, you know, guys and boys aren't really, you know, into horseback riding per se. So was it something that you just stuck to, you were never discouraged from? Yeah, there's 
never a time that I was not interested in horses. Um, it just was something that was, I felt like I had to be around all the time. So, um, it was always something that gave me a lot of calmness and, and, uh, helped me through life in so many ways. Now, fast forward a little bit. You, you said you stepped away from horses a a bit and, you know, were involved in the music industry. And then you decided to become a state farm agent, which, as you said, allows you to fulfill that passion with the horses. So talk about stepping back into uh, being around the horses and the industry. Um, yeah, after high school, I stopped writing and, um, worked in the music business for quite a while. And in that time I got married, had kids and started a business with state farm. And I, I felt like I was missing something. Um, and that's what drew me back to horses. So there was like a 10 year gap and I started riding in an eventing barn in, in, uh, up in the, the Bay area and just started seeing all the thoroughbreds there and was fascinated by all of them. And the fact that they had all raced and I'd remembered when I was a kid at the Arabian bar and I had taken an older thoroughbred mare out of pasture and I restarted her and I just thought how cool she was. And it was cool to get back uh, into the thoroughbreds. And then um, my passion started. I got into racing and I'm, I'm a huge pedigree nerd. So I like to research thoroughbred pedigree and know where they're coming from and uh, what their family history is and what they've done. And I like to see how, you know, certain pedigrees hold up to soundness or certain pedigrees are good for certain disciplines or certain types of people. And they all seem to hold true. Some people don't buy into it, but my experience with the amount of horses I've been around, it generally holds pretty true. And what are some of those? I, I know you have Maria, is a Maria's mom. You've also worked around Tisnals. What are some of those characteristics that, you know, each bloodline has shown you off the track? So Tisnell is my all-time favorite horse. Um, I actually have a tattoo of him. It's my almost my entire forearm is sleeved with his with a Tisnell tattoo. So I'm pretty committed to him. That's um, awesome. I got to meet him. Yeah, <laughs> I got to meet him uh, about a year and a half ago. Uh, my friend's a vet in Kentucky, and I got a private tour, and I got to pet on him. And um, let's just say he's not the most pleasant stallion in the world. Um, at Windstar, they said he's the smartest stallion they've ever had. Um, and uh, at Win- Windstar is one of the farms that actually rides their stallions. And I asked them, did you guys ride Tisnow? And they're like, nope. <laughs> they tried to lunge him when he first got back. And um, he tried to attack the, the stallion manager. And they said, you know what, buddy? I think you want to be retired. Um, and he's still as ornery now at 23 as he was when he came off the track. And his baby's are pretty similar. I mean, I love them, but they are a hot forward ride. Um, They're generally upper level type rides. Um, And what's cool about them too, is they're late bloomers. So, which has, you know, in Kentucky, they like to breed for precocious young ones and, and the Tisnows do well as they get older, they race better as they get older. Um, Like his son, well-armed, you know, won the Dubai world cup, but he was older when he won it. Um, so I, I follow him and then his full brother was Tiz Bud. So I had a couple Tiz Buds as well. Um, what I love about them is mechanically and confirmation wise, they are perfect. They just take a little longer to mature. They are exceptionally athletic. 
but they are by far not the horse that I would recommend to someone just getting into thoroughbreds. Um, the flip side is there's other ones out there that are like, I have some, um, horses by lucky pulpit, which is California Chrome sire. And those guys are dog gentle, you know, California Chrome was dog gentle. Um, so, you know, you have the gamut just depends on what you're looking for, you know? And, and then my mare, Maria, Maria's mom, she is, um, you know, when I got to see her brother, Super Saver at Windstar as well. And the funny story about him is that <laughs> he literally sleeps like 12 hours a day and they, he won't even get up when they clean his stall. They have to clean his stall around him. <laughs> Although they just sold him to Turkey, uh, to some interest in Turkey, but he's just super gentle and easygoing guy. Um, she's not particularly easygoing. Um, she's easy to ride per se, but she's, um, she's an alpha mare. And so she's, she's the fastest horse I've ever been on hands down. Um, but she's, she's smaller, a little more compact, more built like a quarter horse. Um, unlike the Tisnows, which are classic thoroughbred looking horses. Well, getting to her, she raced primarily in California. Looking at her race record, I always like to have those on hand, the PPs. And as you said, she started her career with Carla Gaines. She broke her maiden at Santa Anita. And then she she broke her maiden in a maiden 30. Um, so then she found her way to the Northern California tracks. Talk about how you came in contact with her and took her from the track. So her sire, Maria's mom, other than Tisnow, was my other favorite sire um, because he'd had a horse up in at Golden Gate. He had a, a, a son named Cause to Believe who was just a really cool horse. He was a gray and Maria's Mon was gray. My mare is actually a dark bay, but Cause to Believe won the El Camino Real, which is our, you know, is the our Kentucky Derby prep race. And he ran in the Kentucky Derby. Um, so I fell in love and found that, that line through him. Um, and then I realized that, you know, you know, that was Monarcos and Super Savers brother. And um, my favorite race mare was Wait a While, who's also a Maria's mom. And I saw her on a local listing that they were selling her. And I she'd been on there for like six weeks and she was still on there. So I reached out to the trainer and I said, if you guys, you know, want to, I do a lot of retraining and rehoming. If you just want to find her a home, I'll, I'll take her off your hands. And uh, they were really cool. They actually gave her to me. Um, the trainer was a gal named Natalie Hooley. And the owner is, uh, I think he passed away, is Warren Williamson, who is a big California racehorse owner. And um, they just knew that she was going to a good home. And so I, I got to take her. She's not, you know, when you see her, I always tell people when they're looking at horses, when I do a lot of placements, they always want to see if the horse jumps or how it moves. And uh, you really don't know, because if you saw Maria when, you, when I first got her, she was the worst moving thoroughbred you've ever seen. And now she's one of the best I've ever seen. Um, she's maybe 15, three on a good day and she's very compact. She has a short neck. Um, but she is all game all the time, <laughs> all attitude all the time. Um, and she's 13 now. And, you know, if I bring her into a stall for a couple hours and put her back out in pasture, she acts like she hasn't been out in six months. Um, she still wants to race everyone. Um, and she's just, she's the queen bee on my property. 
I saw a cool video on Facebook of her racing the fence line of, I'm assuming your, your other horse to Swift possibly. Um, and yeah. she just yeah. looks as though she is the absolute boss. She is the boss. There's no question here. I, I don't, everyone knows Maria's the boss and she knows she's the boss. So um, working with alpha mares is, it is, teaches you a ton. You have to be ready for it. It's not everyone's cup of tea, but um, you know, I've had her for nine years. I've never come off of her. I trust her with my life. Um, we have a really good relationship. So. Yeah. See, I can't do the alpha mares because I don't like, want to say I'm an alpha mare, but I just need those, you know, submissive geldings that, uh, <laughs> that'll entertain yes. me. But yeah. as far as riding her, what, what disciplines have you explored and, and what, how do you ride her? Do you jump her? Do you do Western? What's her, yeah, yeah. what's her so, main game? I mean, um, as I've got, I, I evented with her. I never really competed her much just cause I, you know, I had kids. So I'm and my oldest daughter is a division one athlete. And so I couldn't ever compete. So I would just kind of, you know, school her and do stuff like that. And I jumped her and, and as I've gotten older, I kind of focused more on dressage and horsemanship. So I've taken her to a couple of Buck Brandeman clinics. I do a lot of dressage. Um, as you just do dressage only and work with dressage trainers, you start to learn that is a little different than eventing dressage. And the hard part for her, she's a stunning mover. Everyone would think she was a warm blood, but because she's short backed and short necked, um, you have to be very accurate to ride her. And, um, that became more challenging cause I'm bigger. If I was smaller, I'm not big, but I'm a dude. So it's, it became challenging. Um, and I had always wanted to breed her. So this year I decided to breed her and I started working with a gelding, but you know, we had a good nine years together. You bred her to a sport stallion, sport horse. Stallion? No, no. I bred, I bred both my mares to racehorse stallions. So I'm going to get a racehorse out of both of them. Yeah. So are you going to be a racehorse owner? That is the plan. Yes. I have always wanted to do it. Um, I'm one of those that does a lot. I, I believe in the industry. I, you know, a lot of people criticize what racehorse, the, the racing industry does. And I actually disagree. I think um, there are good people and bad people in every horse discipline. I've seen bad people in dressage, bad people in horse, in jumping. I've seen bad people in horse racing, but I've also seen great people in all the disciplines. So I just think it's how you manage it. Um, so, you know, part of what I do with finding them homes is also talking good about the industry because, um, I would hate for horse racing to go away. Yeah. We, we need more people like you to promote what good there is in racing. And, and it's really cool to hear that you are dipping your toe into that, that end kind of coming full circle, if you will. Really quick. You mentioned your daughter is a division one athlete. What is, what does she do? She, uh, she plays softball at Sacramento state. So, um, yeah, she's a, she's in her second year there and she's been, yeah, I've been coaching her since she was four years old. It, it was, a it's, it's been a journey and she's just turned 20. So it's a, it's a long road, but she's, she's at the highest level. They just played the number five team in the country, Oregon this last weekend. And she, um, uh, started the game and she did great. It was awesome. Now, do any of your kids, you have three, do any of them have any interest in riding and horses? Unfortunately, no, not one. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, my, my youngest one was somewhat interested. <laughs> and then she got dumped a couple times and then she decided that she didn't want to ride anymore. So, And she's a beautiful rider. She's one of those natural seats that you can't teach. But I'm hoping she'll come back. I feel as though I might be in the same boat with my eldest, <laughs> too. She really doesn't care too much either way, but there you go. Um, but getting back to um, your work that you have done with the off-track thoroughbreds, you have kind of an organization that you have, NorCal OTTB, and two, you mentioned that you're going to start kind of like a partnership with Hope for Horses, which is already a nonprofit. It's it's already established. So what are your goals? What, you know, what has all this, this OTTB journey taught you? That the, you know, the thoroughbreds are incredible animals and, you know, I hate seeing them wasted, you know. Um, I also, you know, what I've seen a lot through a lot of the the nonprofits and quote unquote rescues, which I don't even like using that word as a rescue, um, you know, they'll spend a ton of money on horses that are not salvageable. Um, and then there's a lot of great horses that are salvageable that end up going to bad places. So my goal has always been is to take the horses that can have a job and we try to place them with appropriate homes. Um, I, my, my good friend, Alana Curtis, she's an eventing trainer. We do a lot of it together. Uh, most of it together now. Um, and so we're really good at placing them in the right homes and getting personalities of the horses and looking at pedigree and, and being picky about who gets them and being extremely honest about any issues they might have. What's cool about thoroughbreds having been around a lot of warm bloods at different barns is that thoroughbreds have a lot of heart and they can deal with a lot of issues um, and deal with quote unquote pain that other breeds don't deal with. Um, so yeah, if they've raced a lot, they may deal with some arthritis or, or what have you, but they, with some maintenance, they are totally game. Um, so we just try to figure out what, where they need help and what they can do. Um, <clears throat> and to be quite honest, everyone thinks they're going to the Olympics, but 99.9% of people aren't. <laughs> so, um, most of them will do whatever they need. Uh, so that's what we just try to do is find the right horse for the right home. Oh, that I, that is my philosophy a hundred percent. I mean, my off track thoroughbred, the, the last one I had, unfortunately lost him to colic over the winter, but I mean, he had to be retired because he fractured a hind sesamoid and the only way to save him was to remove that fracture bit. So he was, he was without a portion of his hind sesamoid and through, you know, being turned out for nine months or, you know, stall rest and then turned out for nine months and then bringing him back and doing dressage and doing that groundwork. He was a sound horse. So he had a lot of, you know, there was, he's a very, very useful horse at the end of the day. And you had mentioned about Maria when she first came off the track that she wasn't the greatest mover. What were some of your techniques? What did you do to help her along and to make her a sounder horse and to have that lovely movement? I mean, the thing that I can't press enough about what I do is patience. And, uh, I just take my time. I let, I give the horses time to unwind from that track experience. Not that it's bad, but it, it's stressful for them. So they need downtime. I did a lot of hacking, a lot of riding around, you know, just on the buckle. Um, 
I'm really into a lot of horsemanship, uh, either through uh, anything that's sort of a Ray Hunt, Tom Dorrance sort of deal. So I work with a guy by the name of David Hillman who worked with um, Tom Dorrance, you know, for years, and then Buck Brenneman. And um, so all that stuff, if you find the right people, is really beneficial to um, to the horses. And I think long term, you get longer term soundness and the mistake I see a lot of people making with thoroughbreds, uh, I see it a lot, especially a lot in a lot of the thoroughbreds go to event trainers, but what they do is they get them off the track and they put them right to work and right to jumping and right to all these, these things. And then the horse isn't sound and they blame the track and 99% of the time it's not the track. Um, it's that they went too fast, you know, and just because the thoroughbred will do it doesn't mean you should do it. Um, I believe in bringing them up slow, doing a ton of flat work, building them up so they have confidence. And then um, they will do anything for you and they will stay sound. But but too many trainers are pushing them too fast and blaming the track for it. Couldn't agree with you more. Now, are you more or less self-taught in retraining or have you gone to a lot of clinics? Have you, you know, had a trainer that works with you? Um, so I've done, I mean, as a kid, I was pretty self-taught cause my, <laughs> I didn't get lessons bought for me. So I, I learned a lot just by watching. Um, and then even later I did as well, but you know, in the last, I would say eight to 10 years, I've done more formal training, which is where my skills aren't as good in like dressage and the higher end dressage stuff. Like that stuff is very complicated <laughs> and it's not my, my wheelhouse, but, um, I'm good at starting green ones. Um, and I've done a lot of work with the horsemanship stuff working with, I've gone to a couple buck clinics. I work with, um, David Hillman on the ground. And then my dressage trainer, Eva King, who's a Grand Prix rider. She's probably one of the few, um, dressage riders that has a basis in horsemanship. She's incredible as far as, um, understanding the, how to start a horse and how to start them correctly. And I just, I'm a huge believer now that I'm doing dressage only that every horse should start that way before you jump them. Um, I just think you get such a more well-rounded balanced animal. Um, so that's been my, my training. And, um, you know, I've been riding my whole life. I'm 46, except for those 10 years. And, uh, I feel like I learned something every day. Like I have so much more to learn and I'm always trying to figure it's, it's a never ending journey. It is. Your your life and horses, that's the great thing about them is that they're constantly teaching you things every day and you learn so much from just being around them. But you also had your own kind of moment in the spotlight and, and a true act of kindness and generosity. And I'm sure just doing what any, you know, horse person would do. And that was when the wildfires came last summer. Uh, you stepped right into action. Talk a little bit about what transpired over the summer in Northern California and what you did to help. Yeah. So we, I live in, in Davis near the University, UC Davis, the, the big vet school. And like where we are, we don't really, we're not really susceptible to fire, but like I, I'm looking out my window now and I can see the, the, the mountains or hills. I don't know what you, they're maybe 10 miles from my house, 15 miles. Right. And every year they burn it's grass fires, especially with all the changes in weather 
every year we have massive fires here. It's get and it's gotten worse every year because it gets so hot here and it gets windy, and the grass grows every year. <laughs> so it's not these aren't forest fires, and they they come fast. And so you know I was able to help some of my you know horse neighbors. They're not too far away, but I had I think 35 horses at my property. Mind you, 25 of them were miniature horses, so that that was uh they were all in one pasture they were that was a new experience for me um and then i had 10 of my other friends horse who who lost a, a horse so uh i just did what any horse person would do if you know if, if you have the space you take care of people yeah and i remember i read and watched the article in the news brief about what you did and you said that some of these horses hadn't been on a trailer hadn't been on trailers in years how was it trying to get them loaded on your yeah. rig? Well, that's where the the time I've spent working in horsemanship has helped. <laughs> you know, I you know I'm I go back to the rope halter and a good lead, and um, you know, you got to just there's and, and a lot of people think you're just going to walk a horse up in there that hasn't been in a trailer in a long time. Um, what I will say, a lot of my friends are getting are just stock trailers. Because when it when it comes, you don't have time to get them in in any sort of like compartment. They just throw them all in the trailer, and sometimes the stock trailers are the fastest way to get them out, um, especially horses that haven't been in trailers for a long time. But yeah, I always tell people you gotta you gotta. I mean, people don't spend enough time on the ground doing their the work they need to be doing, and that's why they have dangerous horses. Is that you gotta you gotta work on the ground as much as you do on top of them. And so I, I really work on that when I get them off the track too, to, to get them to load. And, you know, I try to have them leave with some sort of skills in that, in that department, but it's something you have to practice too. Yeah. Wow. It, yeah, exactly. You know, the re repetition is ideally what uh, gets you a horse that is willing to do whatever you ask of them. Um, but Ben, I want to get to my short answer part. Okay of the interview, sure. um, where I asked you just some quick rapid fire questions about, sure. about your horse, about your girl, Maria. Okay. Hey, Maria is her race name or jockey club name, I should say. Um, so just off the top of your head, uh, what is her favorite treat? Does she like peppermints, carrots, apples? Cookies. She likes, yeah, she just likes the horse cookies. I forget which ones, but she, the ones I, I had just regular <laughs> horse cookies. And, she, yeah. Mrs. Pastures or whatever. So yeah, one of the it's one of the ones from Tractor <laughs> she, Supply. I forget, I'm but yeah, as long as she's it. getting treats, she's she's good. <laughs> All about keeping her happy. Oh, I, I bribe so, her constantly. And I feel kind of quickest way to her heart is through her stomach. Yep. Um, but I feel you know this might be a good because it usually stu stubs people when I ask them this question. But since you have a little bit of a a music background. I feel like you might be able to get this one. If she had a theme song, what would it be? Oh boy. Yeah, that's, that's going to be, I got to think of a song. Um, it's gotta be some sort of, I just, when I think of her, I think of like, just like, well, actually that's it. What's that Beyonce song? Like all, like a, just a strong woman. Like she's just a tough gal. I forget what the one is, but all the pretty ladies maybe, or something like that. Yeah. The single ladies? Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Whatever. It's sort of some sort of strong song for a woman. Like she's a tough broad. She is like all woman power when I think of Maria. 
I could totally, you know, see her like doing the Beyonce strut with the, you know, the wind, with the big yeah. fan in her face, you know. Oh, yeah. That's her. <laughs> to that song. Yeah. So if you, let's say if you could take her out in the town for, for some drinks, what would be her go-to, go-to cocktail? Oh, she would, it would definitely be like a, like a Manhattan or something. She'd be high class. It wouldn't be a cheap date. <laughs> I love it. Now, what, as far as, you know, doing the groundwork and the dressage and, and all the things that you get to do with her, what is her most favorite thing to do with you? Um, she just likes, honestly, when I take her and I hacking her out, she just loves to go for a hack. Um, she's always game to work. She loves, you know, she, she likes getting out there and working, you know, but she likes her, like, she's one of those horses that it's even when you ride her, it's not a cheap date. You know what I mean? Like you can't just go out there and ride her. You have to take her out for like 20, 25 minutes and walk her around the property and let her kind of warm up. And, um, she actually starts out. She's one of those that gets hotter as she goes. So she comes out almost dead. Um, cause she just is like, no, I'm not ready yet. I need, I need some time to get into my, (laughs) my space. So we usually hack for a while, like just walk around the property for 20 minutes until she's like loosened up until like she's ready. She tells me when she's ready. That's cool. She needs her warm up. I like it. It's like doing like your stretches before you get into the workout. Yeah. Um, what would be her least favorite thing to do? Um, she does not. She's not a big fan of being groomed. She's pretty thin skinned. So she's she. uh <clears throat> yeah, she's not a huge fan of, of the curry or being groomed. She's she's one of those types of thoroughbreds. That's, that's not her bag. I would have to say most of them are like that. Yeah, I have a few that, that aren't, but no, she definitely is not a big fan. Yeah. Um, okay, so what has been the biggest you know lesson or thing that she's taught you through your years together, your nine years together? I would say accuracy. Like that's the thing. Like I, I haven't shown her – much at all. And I, you know, I, you know, decided to not continue riding her this year. I got a gelding mostly because I didn't feel like I was good. And I mean, you have to be really accurate with her. When my, my trainer Eva rides her, it's like, it's magic. It's beautiful. But this is also a woman that rides eight horses a day and is a Grand Prix dressage rider. And she doesn't move a muscle um, when she rides. And Maria's taught me a lot about accuracy. So now that I'm writing this bigger gelding, his name's 40. Um, it's so much easier to write him now because of the years I've spent with Maria. And that's what I always tell people. I'm like, she's taught me so much about, um, cause she gives you instant feedback. There is no room for error when you write her. So you just have to be accurate, especially in dressage as you're moving up levels. It's not easy. Amen to that. Um, so how about, if you could sum Maria up in three words, what would they be? Tough, powerful, and bold. Yeah. And the other cool thing about her too, I always think about her. So her when she broke her maiden, she was the jockey that was riding her with Chantel Sutherland. So she's definitely all about the girls. <laughs> and then somehow you ended up with her. <laughs> yeah, right. And she's taught me a lot about you know, that too. <laughs> mares, and we haven't got this, but mares aren't for everybody. You know, like they, it's definitely, it's a, 
that's why I end up keeping a lot of them. I've always loved mares, but you know, they are, they are different and you have to be patient. And I think, I do think men do a better job with mares in the sense that we deal with women. So we have, they work on a similar platform as far as sensitivity and emotions and um, all those things. Yeah. I couldn't agree with you more. I always say when I go to the track and gallop for my husband, I say, just put me on the old geldings. He's like, why? The fillies are lovely. Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I just don't get along with them. <laughs> they they definitely have personality. They're very smart. <clears throat> Maria's the smartest horse I've ever been around. So, and smart animals, or especially smart horses, isn't always a good thing. Um the first horse I had was a Frisian thoroughbred cross and the trainer at the time that I was working with, she told me, she said, Ben, his name was Norton. She said, Norton's not the smartest horse in the world. He's pretty dumb. She's like, but I tell you that that's a good thing. <laughs> my first trainer said the same thing to me. I had an, uh, my first off track thoroughbred and he was beautiful. I mean, and my dad trained him and I had him for, you know, we had him in our lives for pretty much his entire life. And I remember same a dressage trainer and she said you know he and he, she was german he is very beautiful but he is very very dumb <laughs> but that's okay <laughs> yeah so that's uh so yeah maria's on the other end of that spectrum if you can appreciate that so again you have to, when you're dealing with that kind of brains it's like she outsmarts you all the time which is good for teaching you a lot it's just hard to well, uh, deal with all the time talk about patience and that it seems as though you have. And Ben, I couldn't thank you enough for all the work that you're doing um, with these horses coming off the track. So what does the future hold? What is the next step for you? I mean, I can't count the amount of horses we've placed, but it's got to be upwards over a couple hundred, I think at this point. And, you know, working with Hope for Horses will allow us to to gain some of the access to some of the grants through the, through the TCA and throughout here in California, Karma, which will allow me to invest in my property a little bit more so I can put some more pasture space in and maybe hire some folks to help with all the animals. And then we can place more. Um, my goal has always been to, <clears throat> to use whatever money we get effectively. Um, there's a couple charities out here that honestly take that money and, don't, you know, I, I, it bothers me what they do with it because they might save one horse or they have one horse and it, it, it just, they're not placing horses. And my goal has always been is to get as many as we can and put them in good homes and then track them and give them the best shot at finding um, a good match. And then on top of that, it's like getting people to um, buy into getting an off the track thoroughbred. You know, I'd love to see some, you know, there's a lot of you know, famous, this is where my marketing stuff comes, but I see a lot of people in the jumper world that are famous people. Like, you know, you have Kaylee Cuoco who from the big bang theory and she's a jumper. And I'm like, she should have a thoroughbred. She needs a thoroughbred because she's big into pit bull rescue. She needs to be riding an off the track thoroughbred stuff like that. I think helps what we're doing. And so, yeah, that's like one of my goals is to figure out how to get one in her barn. <laughs> Hopefully we, you know, we we'll do our best to reach out to Kaylee. Right. And get Just her gotta work that up. stuff. But uh 
Right, right. Work our connections. Well, mm-hmm. Ben, thank you so much for joining me here and sharing Hey Maria's story. Uh, it's truly a wonderful one. And and thank you again for all that you're doing for the OTTBs out there in California. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you having me on. guys thanks for listening to this week's edition of off track with hey maria and ben samrick as always if you want to help out the horses who cannot go on to second careers but need lifelong sanctuary and a soft place to land make sure you check out trfinc.org slash off track to donate thanks <laughs>